Section 15 of the Crusades by George William Cox. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 8 The Fourth Crusade. The story of the Fourth Crusade is soon told. It was an effort prompted by the policy of a pope to whom the diversion of forces, which the German emperor might turn against himself, was of supreme importance, of an emperor whose consciousness of ill desert made him catch eagerly at an opportunity for winning the favor of his German subjects, and of chiefs who hoped to take advantage of the weakened condition of the Turks for the promotion of their personal interests against the wishes and even against the warning and protests of the latin christians in palestine saladin the chivalrous antagonist of the lion-hearted richard had died in eleven ninety three and the fabric of his empire soon showed signs of decay his brother saladin upheld by saladin's soldiers maintained his ground against the competition of saladin's children who ruled in egypt damascus and aleppo but although christians and mohammedans were alike weighed down by the pressure of a terrible famine the knights of st john longed to strike a blow by which they thought they could surely crush their enemies their efforts to stir up a crusade in england and in europe were seconded by pope celestine the third who promised all the spiritual rewards which had called forth the heroism or the brutality of the earlier pilgrim warriors on philip augustus all entreaties were thrown away richard of england it is said was nursing dreams of conquests which were to place him in the seat of the byzantine caesars but for the time he was busy with the less pleasing task of wringing money from his impoverished subjects but if pope celestine hoped that by urging this crusade he should rid himself of his mortal enemy he was doomed to disappointment the death of tancred king of sicily and of his heir enabled the emperor henry the sixth the son of barbarossa to claim the island by right of his wife constantia and the force which germany might bring together for the reconquest of the holy land could be made available for strengthening the imperial power in southern europe thus the enterprise received his strongest approval and his encouragement stirred up a throng of barons knights and prelates to assume the cross but he had no intention of journeying to palestine in person money and men he was ready to contribute but his own task lay nearer home he had levelled the walls of capua and naples and was besieging a sicilian castle when his own imprudence brought on a fever which cut short at the age of thirty a career shameful for its merciless and wholesale tyranny in eleven ninety six his barons with their followers reached the holy land at a time when although the truce made with saladin had expired the latin christians were not disposed to renew hostilities but the germans had come to fight not to debate and their energy was to be tested by saladin who resolved to be first in striking a blow jaffa was taken before any succour could reach it from acre its inhabitants slaughtered by hundreds or by thousands and its fortifications the work on which richard and his soldiers had toiled so hard utterly demolished the arrival of a second body of german crusaders seemed to justify a fresh movement 
which was directed against Beritus. Saphodin compelled them to fight between Tyre and Sidon, but he did so at his grievous cost. His army was for the time broken, and Jaffa, with Sidon and other cities, came again into the possession of the Christians. In the town of Beritus they found, it is said, provisions stored up for three years, and the power and confidence of the conquerors were largely increased by the arrival of a third body of armed knights, led by Conrad, Bishop of Hildesheim, Chancellor of the Empire. The Crusaders were, in all seeming, in the full career of victory, but the advantages which they had gained were lost almost in a moment by their own infatuated bloodthirstiness. They had besieged the castle of Thoron in 1197, and so undermined the rocks on which it rested that the garrison, foreseeing the inevitable end, agreed to surrender on the single stipulation that they should be allowed a free passage into Moslem territory. The terms were accepted, but so loud were still the threats of vengeance, so persistent, it is said, the assurances which the Frenchmen gave to the besieged of the deadly intentions of the Germans, that the miserable garrison resolved to fight to the death rather than fall into their hands. They lined the passages which the besiegers had scooped out in the rock, and their desperate resistance filled with dismay the savages, who but a little while ago had been crying out for their blood. The disorganization which had not once or twice disgraced the enemies of the earlier crusaders was seen again in even greater degree. The chiefs fled from the camp in the night, and their followers woke to find themselves deserted. A confusion ensued so utter and helpless that an enemy might have won a victory almost without striking a blow. But the Saracens were scarcely less exhausted than the Christians, and these, on being gathered after their dispersion, were able to accuse each the other of obstinacy, cowardice, or treachery. Conrad of Hildesheim, hastening to Jaffa with the purpose of restoring its walls, had won a battle, fought against Saphadin, at a cost fully equal to any profit which might accrue from it. The tidings of the death of Henry the Sixth dealt the final blow to the enterprise by recalling to Germany those princes who had an interest in the election of the emperor. Those who remained took refuge in Jaffa, only, however, to meet their doom a few months later in 1197 at the hands of a Moslem host which suddenly attacked and stormed the city, while the Germans were showing their devotion to St. Martin by drinking themselves into a state of helpless stupidity. In spite of these disasters, the mockery of the Latin kingdom of Jerusalem was still carried on. On the death of Henry of Champagne, his widow Isabella was advised by the Grand Master of the Hospitallers to marry Almeric of Lusignan, who had recently succeeded his brother Guy as king of Cyprus. Isabella showed no unwillingness to follow this counsel, and with her fourth husband she added the title of Queen of Cyprus to that of Queen of Jerusalem. If the politics of the time represented Cyprus as a convenient retreat in cases of emergency, such considerations have little interest or none. The only valid plea for keeping up the fiction of the Latin kingdom in Palestine would be found in the likelihood 
that the abandonment of the title would be regarded throughout europe as a confession of defeat and would be followed by the complete extinction of the crusading impulse End of section 15.